The, uh, the text here in Matthew 7 is ready at the close when Jesus had taught the Sermon on the Mount. And he had gone through all of the blessed R's and he gave the illustrations of what the kingdom is going to be like. And at the close of this, everybody stops. And I'm sure it was one of those times that if you could, you could have, yeah, if somebody would have dropped a pin, you could have heard a pin drop. The word astonished. It's just like, wow. We've never heard it like that before. And as I look at this, I don't think it was because of Jesus' zeal. I don't think it was because he was yelling and screaming and, you know, the leather-lunged evangelist type of thing. You know, you ever see one of those guys, they're preaching, you can see the veins popping out in their neck. I don't think that's how Jesus brought this message. I don't think it was because of of the inflection uh, of voice and facial expressions. It was what he said. You know what I'm saying? Matter of fact, historically, as you read Sinners in the Hand of an Angry God, that message that converted so many people as it was read around the world was done that way, read. And yet people hearing the power of the Word of God were astonished by what they were hearing. And that's what was happening here. And they compared what Jesus was saying to what they had been hearing from the scribes. Those who were teaching the law were comparing to what Christ was saying to that. And they're saying, this is night and day difference. This is a wow factor. And it was because, as you know in the New Testament, in the book of Matthew, the what we call the New Testament, the new agreement between God and, and man, this discovering of grace that Jesus, as he is speaking here, is speaking the word of God. And we have to remember that. We have in the red letter edition, many of us have the words of Christ highlighted so that we can remember that these words are the word of God. Not just Jesus teaching about things. This is the word of God. Last week, we had a chance to look at John chapter number 1 where we saw the the principles of Jesus Christ, the eternal word in John chapter 1, verses 1 through 3, and then the word is made flesh in verse number 14, and those who have received Jesus Christ as Savior are receiving the word of God, the eternal word, believing it, can be saved, and yet what we see is many don't. That's why he says he came even unto his own people and his own received him not, but As many as received him, Jesus, the eternal word of God, in their hearts, to that person, they have an authority or a power to become the sons of God, everyone that believes on his name. That is anyone. You say, Pastor Carl, you don't know what I have done. I am not worthy. There's not one person in this room that is worthy to be called a child of God. But it's by the grace of God we are what we are, and we look at what he has done in the forgiving power of the blood of Jesus Christ to forgive us of our sin. And today what we're going to do is we're going to be looking at the Word of God in a different light, and that is looking at the authority of the Word of God. Now, there are certain times in our life that we look at what is being said to us as authority. Um, You remember when you were a little kid, for some of us a long time ago, 
But when we went to school for the first time, remember how you trembled? Remember how you were nervous? And you paid attention to, well, some of us, some, paid attention to what the teacher said so that we would understand what we're supposed to do. And we were waiting for what my grandkids say is their favorite class. Recess. They got to know what time it is. When are they going to be released? I ask, what's your favorite class? I say, besides recess. Oh, it's recess, Dad, Pat. It's recess. Yeah, I know. But they like the other subjects, too. But they listen. Had a chance to go to, to Celeste School. And everything that the teacher was saying, and to do this and to do that, and given diagrams, they're all watching and listening. Because there's an authority, and we have to listen to the directions so that we know what to do. And if we don't follow the directions, you fail. You don't do well. Life is pretty simple, folks. God has given us directions. He has given us his plan. And what we need to do is stop and believe it. Now, you say, of course we believe the Bible. That's why we're here. We believe this as Christians, and we have it as an authority. And, I, and, that's, and that's the answer we would want to hear. But sadly, in my experience as a pastor, as a student, I've not always seen that to be the case. Matter of fact, there's a higher learning that sometimes can get in the way of a deep theologian that begins to take away from the authority of the Word of God. And my job as a pastor is to try to show you and express to you how important it is that we hold this, the Word of God, high above our own lives. This book, and as we have it in our language, in the English language, and I, I use the King James Version, and this thing is like really, 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 really old, hundreds of years old, that our language has not changed altogether that much. And years ago, some men got together as a result of the necessity of having the Bible in the English language, because prior to that, you've got Greek, you've got Latin, you've got a lot of different things, but you didn't have it in that. And the same thing is going on around the world right now, many, many languages that do not have the scriptures. And I want you to know that I believe that God has preserved his word for us. You say, do you believe that the Bible is inspired? I'm gonna clarify these terms, okay? <clears throat> we usually, uh, missions, you know, they, you get the missionaries and they send in in their doctrinal statement, and what they'll say is, we believe in the original text that they were inspired. And then they kind of stop at that. They don't explain what does that mean, okay? Now, we don't have the papyra. We don't have what Paul wrote down, you know, and a lot of that has, has deteriorated as it was written down and given to the churches. Um, we don't have the stones come down from the mount, and, you know, and we, we don't have those original where it was written on the original, original, originals. And this, listen, I'm, I'm going to get a little deep here once in a while, but this is what cracks me up. Because a lot of, a lot of um, versions will say, well, this was not in the original manuscript. Now, I'm, I'm sorry, I'm an old country boy. I'm not really that deep. But how can you say that if we don't have it? What they're doing is they're going back as far as they can written 
to say, as we're descri- uh, uh, discovering from these manuscripts that we do have, that were translated from this, this, and this, and this, and this, until it goes back, who knows how far, to when Moses wrote it, we don't have that one. We don't have that one. And so, I believe, from that day, until what we do have written down, to this day, in every language, that God is actually able to preserve his word. It's an amazing thing. I talked to one, uh, one of my teachers, and they really ripped into the scriptures. And uh, they were, uh, I try to use my words carefully, they, they enjoyed criticizing the Bible more than preaching the Bible. Okay? What they would do is they'd take a text and they'd say, well, this wasn't in the original. It should be translated this way. And they'd just rip it to shreds. And when you're done, you're thinking, do you even believe what was written? And it was more... It was more that they were looking down at the scriptures as this is not really great because this is written by man. Man did this, man did this, so therefore, now I asked one guy, I said, let me ask you a question. Do you believe God created everything in six days? Oh, of course I do. Do you believe Jesus died and rose again? Oh, of course I do. Did you ever see those things happen? Have you ever seen Jesus face to face? No, but do you believe he is? Yeah. Do you believe he's in heaven right now? Yes. Do you believe all of these things? And then I'm going to ask you another question. Do you think then, if God can create all things from nothing, that God's able to preserve his word then? And we, can, we have no problem with God saying, let it be, and bang, it's there. Lord, save me, I'm a sinner. No problem with believing that. But why do we have such a problem with believing that God can preserve his word so that we can say, thus saith the Lord? This is what the scriptures is. And we believe this around here. And we stand on what God says. Now, once in a while, we get into the book of Carl. You know what I mean by that? In other words, I give you my opinions. And once in a while, when I give you my opinion, you can take it or leave it. And I oftentimes say that. You can walk out of here, you disagree with me, get in line, man. There's lots of people that disagree with me. But when we see it here, we have to mold or conform to what God's word is saying for us. And that's why it becomes our authority. The word of God becomes our authority. Now, when we think of authority, we see here, and that's why I chose this text to be read, is because what was, Jesus was saying, um, God tells us that this was doctrine, and there's a, there's a great word for a Sunday morning service. Let's talk about doctrine. And all of a sudden, the teenagers go, is he done yet? Doctrine is boring, you know. Doctrine is, is facts. And, you know, preachers, of course, we eat the stuff up. You know, we're always looking for powerful doctrines. What is a doctrine? A doctrine is a healthy teaching that comes from God. It's a teaching. It's an instruction. It's a dogma is another way of saying it, meaning it is an absolute This is how it is. I'm dogmatic about this. And that's where we get this word for doctrine. And as he was teaching these dogmas, these doctrines of the kingdom, of his kingdom, he also brings it to a place where they stop and say, this is authoritative. This has power. I remember, now listen, the the pastor that I got saved under, incredible, incredible theologian. Um, wonderful speaker, and, and I understood the gospel when I got saved under this man's ministry, 
But as I started to grow as a Christian, I, find, I found myself really not drawing in the scriptures. In other words, when I walked away, I didn't really understand a lot. I don't remember growing as a Christian at that time period by leaps and bounds. And we had some other uh, friends of ours that were visiting uh, another church, Bible Baptist. And so I said, Lord, let's, let's go over and visit the place. And it was a Sunday evening service. And uh, I went in, and we're listening to the doctrine. And at the end of that service, I went, wow. Because at the end of that service, I was under conviction. As a Christian, I didn't really understand conviction. All of a sudden, he's talking about purity. He's talking about really giving your life to Christ. He's talking about getting in the word, and he's bringing these things up, and I've been coasting along, but I really didn't take God serious as I should have. And all of a sudden, I'm like, now that is doctrine that is authoritative. And it wasn't long until we went there. And that's when we really, really started to grow and yield more so than before. I'm going to say this. It does matter how we are fed. It does matter if we are being challenged. Now listen, folks, I'm going to tell you right now, there's all kinds of flavors of churches out there. You can get chocolate and vanilla and strawberry. You can get a twist. You can get anything you want out there. There's all kinds. And you might be visiting Northside. You say, what's Northside all about? What you see is what you get. We're not real, you know, crazy, wild, exciting. We don't have, you know, rock bands and, you know, 60-some-year-olds trying to recreate their 60s rock bands. We don't have that around here. And we're not going to. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with a percussion instrument. We use them in background music, you know, some of the music we're going to be doing, we use it in passion play. We're not against that stuff. But, but listen, there are certain things that we have to stop. And, and to me, what our personality is and who we are as a church is that we are most interested in the Word of God. That's what's most interesting to us. That's what we're really drawn to is what is coming out from the scriptures. Now these things, as far as music, you know, and as far as things, you know what I mean? You know, they come and go, they change, you know, that's, that's how it is. And I will never forget, years ago, we were at Frank Drown's house, and uh, some, some of you know who Frank is, and his last words to me were, were these words. He looked at me and said, Carl, I want you to please Remember this, do not allow music to take over your church. And I will never forget that. I will never forget that. And what he was saying, and he's been here, and he'll, Lord willing, be back again. And he knows what this church is. And we, we worship, we go through, you know, half hour, whatever. But to have 50 minutes of music and 10 minutes of, of Bible is not balance. That's, that's just not balanced. It's not healthy. It's not good for us. We're not going to be altogether challenged. That's why we do what we do around here. We don't just wing it. There is a reason that we do it the way we do it. There's a reason we use the hymn book. It is to teach doctrines of the blood, the resurrection, of salvation, of grace, of God's holiness, or whatever it is that is found within that song. It is driving us to understand God, to praise him and to worship him in spirit and in truth. 
and what we sing about should go along with Scripture. Now, I'm sidetracked a little bit. Now I feel better about myself, though. Okay. But you need to understand why we do things the way we do. Because we need to get back to, here it is. Now, today's message, hopefully, you don't mind, but I am diverting from an expositional uh, message today, and, and this is more of a topic. This is more of looking at the authority. And what I have found is when I, when I as a Christian, if I'm going to grow as a Christian, there is a mindset that has to happen in our minds personally about the holiness of God's Word, the authority of God's Word, the power of God's Word as we read it. There are times, folks, I go in with one mindset when I'm reading my, my, in my devotions, and by the time I am done, God changed my mind. It's because I say, God, I need to listen to you today, and I have to get your mind because my mind is corrupt. My mind goes all over the place. Sunday school we were talking about, Carl's mind is not always sanctified, not like it should be, so God's word purifies through the washing of the word it changes it cleanses it has that agent found within it and so let's so about the authority i remember pastor marks one of my uh mentors years ago he said there's a phrase that's found in the old testament he talked he said that talks of the authority of the word of god and it is this phrase thus saith the lord thus saith the lord you know when that's found the first time? It's, by the way, all through the Old Testament. We'll find it in the New. But Old Testament, that's a phrase that is in the English language to how it's been translated. And it's translated, thus saith the Lord, that what I am doing is I'm vowing to you myself in my word. It is a commitment by God verbally. This is a vow to you in my name. Thus saith Jehovah, the self-existing one. It will be. It will come to pass. Let's look at where it happens. Book of Exodus. And you can get your uh, strongs out or get your Bible program out your computer and you can type in that phrase and, and you'll see it coming up quite a few times. Book of Exodus, near the beginning. In chapter number 4. Now, you're probably familiar with the text. But to me, it's, it's kind of neat where, where this phrase comes in first. God has taken a people, starting from Abraham to Isaac to Jacob, whose name is changed to Israel, has 12 sons. They're down in Egypt, and they get wives, and they multiply, and they become a nation while they're in Egypt. And while they're there, it is time for them to get out of Egypt and to go to a land that God had promised, guess who? Way back in Genesis 12, God promised Abraham the father. That land was promised to Israel, and that will help you with what's going on this day and age, with Hamas, with Israel, and the land, okay? They are to exist. It is their land. And as Christians, we look and say, it's all theirs, not just a little portion of that. It's all Israel's, okay? And so, yeah, in case you were wondering where, where Christians are supposed to stand, we stand with Israel. It's their land. It's theirs from the beginning. It's Genesis chapter number 12. It's theirs. So what they're fighting for is they're fighting for what is already theirs, sadly. And so, so sure enough, 
Sure enough, as we see this developing, they finally become a nation. He says, I want you to go to a land, and I want you to take this land because it is yours. So, so they're to leave. But there was a problem. There's a tyrant, Pharaoh, over top of them and putting them into slavery. And this slavery, God says, uh-uh, ain't going to happen. They're crying to God. So God cre- uh, has a man by the name of Moses that he personally picks and chooses to go to Pharaoh, the tyrant, over top of Israel, and to tell them, let my people go. Constantly, that phrase is mentioned as he goes to Pharaoh for the very purpose that they may serve me. Now, one place, though, it's a little different, and that's here. Uh, Excuse me, one other time before this where he says that they may have a feast unto me is the other purpose. Excuse me, but most times it's like here that they may serve me. Now, let's look at it in verse 22. He's talking to Moses, Exodus 4, 22. Thou shalt say unto Pharaoh, Thus saith the Lord, Israel is my son, he is my firstborn, and I say unto you, or thee, Let my son go, that is Israel, that he may serve me, and if you refuse, now follow me, Thus saith the Lord, he's not done yet. If you don't, now this is the very beginning, if you've never noticed this before, If you refuse to let him go, I will slay your son, even your firstborn, way before the rest of the plagues came out. He, God, knew the end. He knew what Pharaoh was going to do, the hardening of his heart. He knew what he was going to do in his will, in his actions. And God says, I'm going to kill your boy. My son, you are destroying my son. So since you are destroying my son... If you don't let him go, I'm going to take your son, and you're going to know what it feels like. Throwing it right back in his face. And sure enough, we know the story wouldn't happen. But thus saith the Lord, everything that God said happened. To a T. Crossing, dottings, everything to the completeness. Now here's the problem. So as, as they are going along life's journey now, God brings the plagues, you know, uh, the Passover takes place. Israel is out, and they're going through the wandering in the wilderness, and they're heading towards the promised land. Sure enough, they've come to this place where, with Moses, he sends in 12 spies. Now, the promise by God, of thus saith the Lord, was, you go in to that land, and I'm going to fight for you. I'm going to win every battle for you. Don't fear, go in. But when the 12 spies went in and they came back with the report, the report was, we can't do it. We cannot do that. They are bigger than us. They're mightier than us. We can't win. Joshua and Caleb said, yeah, we can't. We got to obey God here. Because God said, do it, and we're supposed to do it. If we don't do it, then we're in trouble. They recognized this. This is is the book of Carl, okay? And so sure enough, they, they, they wouldn't go in because the 10 came back with a report that they couldn't do it. And God says constantly in the scriptures that that was another turning point that they say, God says, they believed not my word. I promised them I'm going to take care of you. But here's the problem. They were at this point where they saw the crossing of the Red Sea. They saw all the miracles at that point up to, the, up to that point with the food and the water, and the protection. They saw all of the ten plagues. They saw all of that in the past. But now they're at a new point where they have to believe the Bible. 
they're at a new point, if you will, that they have to listen and obey the voice of God. And they say, I know what he's done, but I don't think he can do this one. That's when we get ourselves into trouble. With, with each phase of our life, whether it is a new Christian or a seasoned Christian, you will always be brought to a point where it comes to this question, are you going to believe and stand on what God's word has said? Or are you going to compromise and go with what the rest of the people are saying? We are right there in Christianity. The Bible is being criticized, critiqued, ripped to shreds, and, and words like, well, that was a cultural thing. That was a custom at that time period. No, it's what the Bible says. Is what we reason authority, or is it that God is to reason for us and develop doctrine? You know, I've mentioned this a couple weeks. This makes people mad. And you know what? I love you. But it goes against the Bible. The Bible says this, but now Christendom is saying, I don't care what the Bible says, I will do it anyways. For instance, women going into ministry. Do you know that the Bible actually speaks against that? In two chapters, no, three chapters, three times. Mouth of two or three witnesses, things are established. It's not an obscure verse. It's in a whole text. And I have talked to women ministers, and when I bring the subject up, they don't care. And you know what? It's sad. So now what we're doing is going and taking the scriptures and saying, I know what the Bible says, but in the past that might have been, but now it's different. No, it's not different. God's word is still the same. It is the most contemporary book you will ever want to read. I was taking the time this morning to read through 1 Timothy chapter 4 and 2 Timothy chapter 3 to discover the last days, what it's going to be like. And it was as though we're reading the Elkhart truth. The lying, the murder, deception, and the rebellion of children against parents and this and that. You stop and you say, yep, that's our counseling. And this is here. It's not the world. This is, this is here, folks. And, and it's just like, there again, the Bible's right. And the, the, the older I get as a Christian, the more relevant, the more authoritative the scriptures are in my life. And it's because I have to come to that place where I, say, I, I stop and say, okay, God, this is what you have said. It's a vow and a commitment to me. The word of God is authoritative. It is very, very powerful in what it says to you and I. The word of God is that which saves us. It reveals. I remember when the pastor, Pastor Kimbrough, was preaching about Christ, about the gospel. I remember coming under such conviction of needing Christ. I remember that as though it were today. And what he was doing was sharing about the Lord Jesus Christ. And you say, you know, were you real weak and everything? No, I, I was a pretty strong 19-year-old boy. I thought I had my life all together, you know. But guess what? I needed him. I needed the Lord Jesus Christ. And I came under conviction because of the power of the word of God. Look with me to the book of Hebrews. Most of you know where we're going. Chapter 4. 
And I go here now because I wanted to show you what happened in this text, chapter 3 and 4. Guess what God is talking about in the book of Hebrews? You know, you're thinking Jewish. Yep, that's right. Chapter 3 and 4 is talking about the failure of Israel's past and how when they went to the promised land, they didn't go in because of their sin of unbelief. And he says to you and I, make sure you do not provoke the Lord to anger just like they did in the wilderness. And they fought against the authority that was set up. They fought against God himself. They fought against Moses. I don't care what you say. Who do you think you are, Moses, telling us this? And there's that, that, that rebelling, if you will, going against the word of God because we don't like to hear the word you need to change. I'm okay the way I am, but God says, no, you're not. And we resist that. And God is saying, don't provoke, don't resist. You know, one of the things they did in, in, that, in that time period, you know, Moses is up getting, thus saith the Lord, on the mount. He's getting the scriptures. He's getting the word of God. And since Moses didn't come down when they thought he should, they went to Aaron and said, okay, Aaron, we don't know where Moses is at. Why don't you go up and make us a God? We'll get, you know, we, we need somebody that we can say, now follow me, that brought us up out of the land of Egypt. So Aaron... Can't figure this guy out sometimes either. He goes, okie dokie. Give me all your jewelry. Give me all your gold. And we'll melt it down. We'll make calf. And you all can say this is God. Now, how silly is that? But he did it. And sure enough, they're having this wild party. That's to say the least. And Moses comes down with, guess who? Joshua. And sure enough, it's like, what's going on? They're dancing and singing. And we can't even understand what's going on. Is it a war? Is it, you know, it's just like this riot going on. And they come down. And sure enough, they're running around, not, not well dressed. And they're having a great time with their God, the calf. And, you know, it's a wonder right there. God didn't say, okay, you're done. <laughs> you know, better than me, you know. But God is long-suffering and gracious and merciful. And he, he doesn't take them out. And it was all because they didn't believe God's word. They never got the chance to enter into the rest. In that text, verse 11, let us labor therefore to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. For the word of God is quick. That is, it is alive. It is powerful. It is sharper than any two-edged sword. And notice what it does. It hits our very being. It pierces even the dividing asunder of mind or soul, spirit, the two invisible parts of you, and of the joints and marrow, the physical part of us. And now it goes back to the internal mind. It is a discerner of the thoughts and the intents of the heart. God knows our hearts. God's word reveals what is going on inside of us. That's why when God starts to show our sin and what we are doing wrong, it starts to convict us. And whether it is from the pulpit or a Sunday school class or your personal devotions, the word of God is powerful. For instance, if I were to quote what Jesus said, if, you know, and, and you know, there, there were all kinds of confusions uh, about uh, marriage and divorce and so forth and, and all this. And Jesus said, I'm going to take you further than the law. I'm going to tell you something else. If a man looks on a woman and lusts after her, he, hasn't he already committed adultery in his heart already? Pin drop. It's like, 
that was not good. If, if my wife found out, <laughs> I'm in big trouble here, mister. And God says, yeah. And all of a sudden, I remember the first time I read that, I'm like, this is convicting. And that's what the word does. It brings a conviction inside of our hearts to drive us to a better life than we are living. So that we can live purely, holy, so that we can be a light that's bright, not dim. Many times in my devotions, you can hear a pin drop because of the convictions, because of what God's doing in my heart, in my life. It's because God's word knows, he knows me. You know, you bring up, you know, the issues of the day of, of yieldedness and submissive and authority. Man, we just, oh, like that. God doesn't mean that. Yeah, he does. He didn't say it just to joke. He said it for a reason. And he's laying out order for you and I to live by. And as he does that, it developed for you and I a life to live that is honoring and glorifying to God. And that's why as you are in D1, you're in D2, you're going through shepherd school, you're getting more of the word for us to yield to, to allow the word to work inside of us through his power. So what we are to do is this. We are to stand on the word of God. We are to stand for the word of God. That's what I'm trying to do today. I, as a pastor, I want you to know that what God's word says is right. Agree with God. Don't fight him. Men, stop fighting God. Ladies, stop fighting God. If you are going to grow as a Christian, you must come to a place where you say, God, everybody else laughs at me. They think I'm crazy. But I know what your Bible says, and I'm going to do what it says. I had a wedding years ago, and this was back in Pennsylvania. And I typically said, do you want these vows? Yeah, yeah, you use these vows. And they were the old vows for this wedding. And they really didn't rehearse them well. It was a short wedding because it was about 105 degrees outside. It's a very stormy day, humid day, and we're trying to get through it. So there's a whole crowd there of people outside, and we're going through the vows, the richer for poor and sickness and health and those vows. And then to her, I said, will you obey him? Now listen, the whole crowd erupts into laughter in the middle of the vows. And she looks at me and goes, and starts laughing at me. And I said, you ever have a talk with yourself while you're talking to other people? So I'm talking to myself right there. Carl, it'd probably be a smart thing for you never to do that one again. I will make sure that I will not use the word obedience and submission and a vow since they're not going to mean it. And uh, I haven't to this day. I tell the kids on most occasions, here's all the vows, you choose them. Because I am not going to have them lie in front of God. Because it's a vow between God and themselves and what they're going to do. And Ephesians chapter 5 talks about wives, submit yourselves unto your own husbands. 
is on the Lord, for he is the head. He is the head, and it's a body. You two have become one. And if you keep beating that head down of that leader and don't let him lead, then you're in trouble, and you've got to stand before God for it. And husbands, what's sad is many times the ladies have to take a leadership because you're a deadbeat, and you won't do what you're supposed to do. It's time for you guys to stand up and start living for the Lord so they can follow you. I don't blame the ladies. I blame the men. Because there's more said there in Ephesians 5 to you and I as men than there are to the ladies. Very simple for the ladies. But men, you are told to love your wives as Christ loved the church and he gave himself for it. That is not when you like to. That's not when, when she does what you want. It's not based on a condition. So if your wife's health goes downhill, she gets in a car wreck and, and, and she can't help you physically anymore, you're going to stop loving her? Happens all the time, by the way. Because love was based on physical, wasn't based on a relationship and a choice. Husband, love your wives, even as Christ loved the church and gave himself for it. There's a purifying agent that comes from the washing of the word. So we're in the word, we're praying for them, we're loving them, we're the spiritual leaders. And this is what the Bible says. And we are gone so far away from this, and we are dysfunctional as families, it's because we have taken the word of God, and we've slipped it to the side, and we've read 50,000 books on there on how to fix your marriage, and it's not working, is it? You can have a new book every day on marriage, and it isn't fixing the Christian home. You know why? It's not in that book. It's in the Bible. If we just listen and do what God says, we're okay. I'm not going to obey him. You want me to listen to him and, and follow him? God does. You say, well, you don't know him. You married him. What's that make you? You following me? It's a choice. And same, same thing, you know, with the guys. It's like, well, you know, I got work, and I got this, I got this. I don't have time to be a father. I don't have time to be the right husband. Well, guess what? You're out of sync. All out of sync. And, and you have to do it God's way, and it's a miracle how it works. <clears throat> uh, one of the guys sent me, I don't get a lot of junk mail. Um, once in a while I get something, but one of the guys in the church sent me this, and he doesn't send much to, it, to me, and, and it was like sayings, and I, I thought it was pretty cool, some of the sayings. And one of the sayings was this, and between a, a relationship between a husband and wife, you cannot hide true love. Can't hide it. When there's a real bond and a real love there because of doing a scripture, you can't hide it. I'm telling you what, the greatest witness of the scriptures coming alive, alive in our lives is our relationship in our home. You cannot, you cannot fudge it, man. Have you ever had somebody come up to you that didn't know you and said, you're Christians, aren't you? Anybody have that happen to you? I have. My wife has. We stick out. Different. We're supposed to be different. It's because we're living out what the scripture says that makes us a peculiar people. I have to read these verses. Look at the Psalms with me, and we're going to wind down. You've been very, very good today. You've been listening very well. Authority of the Word. 
Look at Psalm chapter 12. Psalm 12, verse 6 and 7. And just keep your fingers here in Psalms now. The words of the Lord are pure words. As silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. There's your number seven for perfection. Thou shalt keep them, O Lord. Thou shalt preserve them from this generation. For how long? Do you believe that? We've talked about God preserving his word to this generation. That's why your pastor believes that we have the word of God and that we will be judged one day by his word. Look over at chapter 18, verse 30. Going along with that, the word of God has been tested and stood through the test of time. Verse 30, as for God, his way is perfect. The word of the Lord is tried or tested. It's been made pure because of the test of time. Makes it more believable, if you will. And he is a buckler to all those that trust in him. Look at chapter 19, verse 7. 19, 7. The law of the Lord is perfect. Converting the soul or the mind. The testimony of the Lord is sure. In other words, you can stand on it. Making wise the simple. What that means is this. The more you're in the word of God, you may not be thinking real clearly now. But the more you're in the word of God, it is actually going to make you wiser. And what's going to happen is all of a sudden, your whole lifestyle is going to change. You're going to change how you spend money because you become smart. Because the Bible says this, do this. You become wiser in your finances. You become wiser as a father, as a wife, as a mother, as a business person. You become wiser. I have guys, I know they're not in the scriptures. They come to me and they have asked me to bail them out. I've had Christians come to me as a pastor to ask the church for money, tens of thousands of dollars, to bail them out. And I said, you're nuts. That's never going to happen. And it's like, well, you know, you got yourself in trouble. I said, so talk to me about the problems you got into. Well, the problem was all started with this guy I got into business with. Like, go ahead and tell me. Well, he's not a Christian, but he, you know, he said we were going to do things moral and upright. And before long, he's taking money out. And he's not paying the taxes. And he's not doing this. And, and all of a sudden, you, you mean because you disobeyed the scriptures and not be unequally yoked together with unbelievers, you did it anyways, and now you're in a pickle. It's because you didn't do it the right way. So guess what? You learned a concept today. If you didn't know that, you're ready to go into business, don't go into business coupled with an unsaved guy. You're in trouble, mister. You're going two different directions. Some of you young ladies are saying, I just want to find Mr. Right. You better make sure he's a Christian. You better make sure he's walking with the Lord so, because that's what the scripture says in Corinthians. Do not be unequally yoked with, together with unbelievers. What fellowship is light with darkness. You're going two different directions. It's going to make you smart. You're gonna make, you, you want to be smart? Get into the scriptures. The statues of the Lord are right. They're never wrong. So rejoicing in the heart happens. Oh, I'm a happy Christian. Yeah, because you're in the word. The commands of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. 
More to be desired are they than your money, your gold. Do you love the Bible more than your checkbook? Only you can answer that. Which would you be more upset about? You found out your 401k is gone or you lost the Bible and you no longer can read it. Which would you be more upset about? Think about it. We're so oriented with money. Look, at, look over at chapter 20, verse 7. Some trust in chariots and some in horses, but we will remember the name of the Lord our God. I am not going to trust in the material things. We trust in the Lord. So back, that was in chapter 20, verse 7. Now we're back to, ni- uh, to 19 and verse 10. Moreover, to be desired they than gold, yea, than much fine gold, sweeter also than honey and the honey Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. When you keep the commandments of God, there is a reward that's going to come your way. And we could go on and on. These are just scratching the surface. Let me summarize. Our attitude about the word of God is what is going to determine whether we're going to grow as a Christian and develop to be more Christ-like or not. I have not seen ever a Christian developed with the right attitudes and the right lifestyle apart from the scriptures. Never gonna happen. You need to love God's word. You need to fall in love with God through his word. So my attitude is that we have his preserved word. His word is over us. The word of God corrects us. We do not correct the word of God, because all scripture is given by inspiration of God, is profitable for doctrine, reproof, and correction, and instruction in righteousness. Then we are also to know that we are to believe what God's word says. We are to stand on what God's word says. We're to stand on his promises, and then we should stand for it, even though everybody around says, I don't care what the Bible says, Guess what? Carl does. That's where we have to come to. Because as soon as we start compromising, as soon as we stop standing for what God says, we're in trouble. If you do not stand for something, you will fall for anything. What do you stand for? What do you stand for? Father, I pray you'll bless the reading of your word today. Lord, forgive your servant for where he has failed you. And Lord, I pray that I will become a better Christian, that I will believe your word more and obey it more. I pray, Father, you will help us as a church to not just amen these concepts, but live by them. And not to be hearers only of your word, but doers of them. Lord, we hold your word up as our authority. Help it to be that light to our paths, to our feet, to lead us and guide us. Not only as individuals, but as families and also this church. Forgive us, Lord, when we put your word to the side and we compromise truth. Lord, I pray that through this message, and even if one determines to obey your word and believe your word, that it will be a turning point in their life to be more like Christ. 
In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Let's stand together.